for a track workout on a Friday, I can ride my bike on a Saturday and then I can just do a, a day where I just do vert on, on a Sunday, you know, it's like the most random three days of training I've done probably ever was this past weekend. But, you know, and it made me think I'm totally okay doing that now. But there was a time where I'd be like, oh, I've not just got to be doing vert in, in the hills to train for this race that I've got coming up. I'm Matt Raymond. I'm Eugene Bingham. And this is Dirt Church Radio. Interesting conversations with interesting runners. Kia ora everyone. Uh, before we start this week's episode of Dirt Church Radio, we want to address something that we've... Uh, you. We've said at the start of last week's podcast. Um, Read it like we practiced and get your dog back. We've... Uh, you've... Dirt Church Radio has received a cease and desist letter from Godsif yes. Walker Guys and Car Ultra Running's lawyers and we'd yes. we'd just like to clear up some spurious and vile misconceptions that were directed at Ultra Running. Our, Our zero, zero drop overlords the spice. by us. Ah, yes. you, concerning allegations that in uh, nineteen fifty one uh, Brian Beckstead and Golden Harper harnessed alien technology from a race of intergalactic space I'm Vikings to inject the midsoles of their shoes minutes, with the Viking soles. This is totally untrue. Complete spurious. We were wrong. So wrong. You were wrong. We were wrong, and we agree with Ultra, our zero drop overlords, and emphatically state that this is a complete untruth and we regret and apologise unreservedly and in perpetuity um, for any and all offence caused at our era. To be clear, Ultra Running wished to make it known that the Viking souls were in fact harnessed in 1964 and not 1951, and this happened in the Moab Desert, not in Area 51, which is in Nevada. They used privately funded necromancy with Spanish conquistador gold and not, as was stated, US government resources. Zero limits. So, this podcast is brought to you by Ultra, our zero drop overlords. You two are idiots. So, show number three, we're back and we're bad. How are you, Eugene? Um, well, actually, we've had some feedback that we sound similar. And in fact, some people have doubted that we are two people. So what I've done is I've gone and got a cold this week right. to distinguish me okay. from you. You sound the embodiment of health. Well, no, because I stayed up for like two days on the weekend. Uh, yeah, um, not on a bender, but well, on a healthcare bender. But I, I, yeah, so I've, I've gone and stayed up. So you've been working. Yeah. I've just been, I've got a cold. Okay. I did it. I only did it so that we sound different. And I only did it so we sound different too. So, so yeah. So here we go. You'll be able to distinguish us now, and we also will be able to distinguish ourselves from our guest today Absolutely. because he's from Riverton. He has down, a... which is on the south coast of the South Island. Beautiful place. Yeah. But he does have that distinctive accent to prove where he comes from. He does. He does. I mean, so Grant is very far south. In fact, if he he said. Words to the effect of, I climb the hill by my house, I can see Antarctica. Was it Antarctica? Yeah, he said you could spit and it would hit Antarctica. Yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. It never gets dark. Was it Alaska? Not sure. Mm. Anyway. for days. We'll have to listen. He's our zero drop overlord. He is our zero drop overlord. At Ultra. At yeah. Ultra. But he's also a really interesting guy. He's a totally interesting guy and someone who, I because he's so good natured and he'll be, if he's listening to this i'm sure he'll be sweating because he is a modest man he's very good natured i don't think you kind of realize what a talented runner he is and Super speedy he came through you know he started backcountry runner back in the day he used to run for salomon spent a bit of time with ultimate direction and la sportiva and now for you know the last three years he's been bringing in ultra shoes ultra spy packs Jalbo eyewear, and now most recently compressed sport into the country, and he crushes it when he runs. So it was a really great conversation that we're really looking forward to sharing with you because he's funny and cool. So yeah, interesting yeah. conversation. But first of all, stuff you should know. Stuff you should know. Mm. Now, just a bit of a disclaimer: there is science going to be inflicted on you. It's about to be science and health. Science and health. Yeah. So stuff you should know. The 
Aotearoa New Zealand running community, it's super small. And I think we're as factional and tribal as the next community where there's a diverse range of opinions, but it's a very close-knit one. And I'd say that there's probably, I don't know, a degree of separation. Would you agree with that? Between, I think so. Everyone knows everyone. Between really. us and anyone else in the and when And when you're new to the scene, as it were, I hate using that word. Scene, I just use the air quotes, had my fingers up in the air. But when you're new to the scene, you quickly get to know people because it is a friendly bunch yeah. of people. And yeah. everyone's excited about so everyone stuff. kind of knows everyone. Like you say, there's a degree of separation, one degree of separation between most people. So I guess it's no surprise that the news recently that Brendan Keenan copped a four-year ban from porting EPO has been the biggest thing that has hit the scene in a while got on the news and there's been some, you know, some quite strident opinions being voiced on uh, social media. So we thought we'd talk about this because it's stuff you should know. So we wanted to talk about what EPO is. So here's some science. EPO or erythropoietin is a cytokine, which is a small protein. And it's in adults, it's secreted in the kidneys in response to what's called cellular hypoxia. What hypoxia is, is a lack of oxygen. So when your cells are struggling for oxygen, your kidneys produce this protein which stimulates red blood cell growth in the long bones and in your bone marrow. So your long bones, like your thigh bone, that's where red blood cells come from. Okay, and that's called erythropoiesis from the Latin to make red. So it's naturally occurring. It's naturally occurring. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, useful so. protein and it actually, it actually is something that's good for us. It's not like a EPO itself is not bad for you. No. But... Yeah, so with science, and we worked out that, you know, EPO is good for you because it does promote red blood cell growth. So clever people quite a while ago came up with an exogenous or non-naturally occurring form of EPO called RH-EPO, which is recombinant human EPO, okay? And that's used in um, treating anemia, okay? So certain blood cancers, chronic kidney disease, and the effects of chemotherapy can kill your red blood cells pretty much. So this recombinant human EPO was uh, used to stimulate red blood cell counts and provide oxygenation to the cells. But with all good things, there's a dark side to that. Um, it's used as a performance-enhancing drug because if you're, if, if you, I guess, a healthy normal and you have even more red blood cells, the tissues are getting more oxygen, and this can enhance performance. So that's why it is universally banned both with and without, or through and throughout competition. There's some dangers, though, with EPO, because if you've got more red blood cells, essentially what you're doing is you're thickening your blood. So use of EPO can increase your risk of myocardial infarction or heart attack. It can increase your risk of a cerebrovascular accident, and it can also increase your risk of a thrombosis being formed or a blood clot. And a bunch of cyclists died in the early 90s, actually, with overuse of EPO. They were, it was in the night, wasn't it? They, they, they went home and yeah, dropped dead, dropped dead in the night because their bodies weren't pumping enough blood around. Yeah. So... Mm. And, and hysterically, the, you, the first person to ever get pinged, the first cyclist to ever get pinged for EPO was at the 2001 La Flèche Wallonne, which is one of the spring classics. And if you learn nothing else from this podcast ever, learn that the first person who was pinged for using EPO, his name was Bo Hamburger. You made that up. I'm no, sure. he's a real person. Bo <laughs> Hamburger. It's like Bo Selector. But I Bo have, Hamburger. I had no idea. Yeah. There we yeah. go. If you're stuff, listening. So stuff you should know really is Bo Hamburger is real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So back to Brendan. Brendan Keenan. Yeah. Um, so he's an inspector in the police. He's based in Rotorua and he's received a four-year ban from the sports tribunal from September 2017. So it was it was backdated, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, he's quite, he's very well known or well known within yeah. some circles within uh, running. He was a, an advocate of barefoot or minimal running. He had success at master's level in track and distance events. And in fact, he'd won some medals this year, which he's been stripped of. Mm. He was third in his age group at the Wellington Marathon 2017. And he's previously been a winner of the round, the mountain race in Taranaki. Uh, so he's he's somebody who's had success even at the Rotorua Marathon this year. Mm. He was third in his age group, the M40 age group. 
so the ban applies means that his membership of Athletics New Zealand and the Lake City Athletics Club in Rotorua are both suspended, and that's because EPO use yeah like that it's is, banned with and without competition in and out of competition, and so where does that leave him with? sort of non-sanctioned events? Well, I guess in that sense, it's up to the race director's discretion. So if he, and I know that such races like Tarawera Ultra have come out publicly and said that he will not be welcome or will not be able to enter the event and while his ban is in place. But I think if you're, if he cho- chose to attend another uh, non-sanctioned event, that would be up to the race director's organisation. Mm. So this has been a bit of a lead-in, and I guess we need to talk about why this is stuff you should know. And the reason that it's stuff you should know is because it's very serious, and it's had serious consequences for Brendan. Brendan's a public servant. Uh, he's a senior police officer. He's an inspector in the New Zealand police, and he's based in Rotorua. And um, he's in a position of trust, and I think we can all agree that perhaps he should have, or he should have known better and he's been penalised for it. He's been penalised by the sports tribunal and he's copped a lengthy ban and it doesn't appear that he's appealing this. So clearly it's a gross error of judgment on his part and it it's one that sort of rubs up against some pretty long-held beliefs that I guess as New Zealanders that, you know, we, ha- we hold dear. So, you know, that sense of self-reliance and that toughness and, and just sort of going about it. That, that something like EPO is counter to, I guess, hey? Yeah, absolutely. And Matt and I have been talking about it, and let's just state for the record that we absolutely totally agree that he should be punished and banned. It's yep. just, that's just a no-brainer. Of course he should. But we think there's a really interesting opportunity here as well for us as, as a community, especially a trail-running community, where events generally aren't subject to drug testing. No. And we've got <laughs> something to learn from this case in any event, even when there is testing, testing is never going to catch all cheats, I mean, because history. So the only thing that's going to make a difference is a culture. And banishing someone is one thing. I think as a as a, a sort of culture, really, not, you know, sort of as the world, we love to have villains. And it's really easy to just go, mm, bad guy. Yeah, he's a bad guy. Yeah, that's, that guy's punished. That's dealt with it. We've, mm, good on us. We've dealt with that problem. But that's never true. And so we think listening to Brendan might be interesting. Yep. And because sometimes when you listen, you learn. You do. So we'd love to speak to him, wouldn't we? Yeah. Yep, we would. We'd love to speak to Brendan Keenan. We'd love to know what was going through his head, what he was thinking when he hit purchase. How could he justify it to himself? Is there more to the story than perhaps we we know? or And if he cares to share that. You know, I mean, what was going through his brain when he's standing on the start line? He knows he's got an unfair advantage. Yeah. What's going on in his mind? What the hell was he thinking yeah. generally? And I think maybe in what he's got to say, we as a community could actually learn something. Yeah. And it might be that there are people you know who are vulnerable right now who yeah. are maybe even thinking about using performance-enhancing drugs. And maybe some of the things that Brendan has got to say will enable us to be able to step in and go, you know, hey, don't do it, don't do it. Absolutely. And I think, you know, he's copped a fair bit of flack on social media. Uh, It rubs me up the wrong way. I think it's boring and I think it's far too easy to just, you know, call someone a dick on social media. I don't know. Maybe you need to treat people like you're going to run into them five minutes later. And I guess in a community as small as us, that's a very real possibility. Mm. So if you're listening, Brendan, or you have a ear, get in touch. We'd love to speak to you because interesting conversations aren't often the easy ones. Yeah. Yeah. So that's stuff you should know. That's a very somber. It's uncomfortable talking about this stuff, but I think it, it, it needs to be talked about. And it's this isn't from a position of we really are on board with Brendan Keenan and, and you know, like we are trying to say yes, but, yes, but, yes, but, but nor are we saying he's a cartoon character, bad guy and you know, he needs to be hung from the roof because I think there's lots of, you know, my biggest thing and, and also my biggest thing as someone who does put on a race every year is, okay, would I let a jug at someone who's been a convicted drug cheat uh, c- compete in the race? I don't know. Maybe I would. Maybe I wouldn't. I don't know what anyone else who turns up to the race has done. It feels cut and dry in one sense and the other it really doesn't. Yeah. And when you don't, I mean, 
when you turn up for a race, you're not expected to make all sorts of declarations. No. Are you? You're just there as Joe Bloggs who yeah. wants to run a race. That's uh, right. Yeah, it's a, really, it's a really hard one. And so that's why we thought it was important to talk about it. And yeah. we've talked for quite a long time about it, so excuse us. But we thought it was really important and it is stuff you should know. Stuff and you should know. And as a trail community, you know, trail running community, it's, you know, something – this is something that we can do is we can talk about these things that yeah. get a little bit of sort of sound bites and a little bit of media coverage elsewhere, but we can talk a bit more about. So excuse us for pardon our freedom, pardon but our freedom. Look, yeah. I, one more thing. I mean, I think as well the you know, the last issue on this is, yep, this guy got hit. He's a master's level athlete in New Zealand. He's not Probably, no, he does, I say probably too much. He doesn't have a massive social media advertising marketing campaign behind him. I think we need to be focusing on the fact that this is probably happening a bit more widespread than we think in our community internationally, certainly at high levels. It's been clear that some athletes, there was an Ecuadorian athlete that copped ban at UTMB. He came fifth in 2014, 15, I think. I think we need to focus on what's happening. Let's get real, people. Yeah, let's get real, mm. sheeple. Mm. It's happening. All right. So uh, let's talk greatest run ever. Greatest this run ever. proven to be quite a popular part of the show. Yeah. And it's where we turn it over to you, the audience, and we hear from you about your greatest run ever. doesn't have to be massive run, doesn't have to be the triumph. And in fact, lots of the ones that are coming through are really ground roots and really kind of um, people are showing their vulnerability. It's great. So let us know, dirtchurchradio at gmail.com or use social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, get in touch. And we've had a couple of good ones. We have week. had some some bangers, yeah. Yeah. So Jenny Hurst, who I have never actually run with Jenny Hurst, but we follow each other on social media yeah. and on Strava and things, and so I feel like I really know her. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the weird thing about our community as well, isn't it? I guess all sorts of different communities. Absolutely. So I was really pleased that Jenny wrote in and sent us her greatest run ever, and I'll read that out now. Yeah. Yeah. So... You've made me think very hard about my greatest run ever. Usually it tends to be the last big thing I did, which in my case was Wu2K, a fantastic event, so I can't recommend it enough. However, on reflection, the greatest run I've ever done in keeping to a Tarawera theme is not something I entered myself, but it is crewing and pacing my mate Kelly this year for her first 100 miler at Tarawera. My husband was doing the same for our friend Bronwyn, so it was a full weekend of adventure for us too. I had DNF the 100k the year before and was not yet inclined to give it another crack. 2019 beckons for that one. So that's uh, good luck, Jenny. But after five years of Tarawera in various forms, we wanted to be there. Kelly and Bronwyn are both stubbornly tough with huge Ks and several ultras to their names, so we were pretty certain that we could make it to the finish line. Inaugural events are great, and smaller numbers made it easy to be at the start and catch them all around the course. And she remembers seeing you, Matt, scoffing pies and coffee at a service station a few k's in. It was in. a pie and a coffee. Pie. Yeah, a pie and coffee. She, I, uh, she clearly says pie is plural. Pie. Pie. Fake okay. news. Fake news. Jenny, watch right. it. <laughs> Jenny. Anyway, can I go on with the story or are you defending yourself still? I'm just a bit injured now. <laughs> okay. Um, so we got to meet up at the same support crews repeatedly and the aid stations were very festive despite the constant rain. We managed a couple of hours sleep in the afternoon and or well, in the PM it says, and headed out to Okataina at around six o'clock. We had no clue how long it would take for them in those conditions. Anyway, the Okataina party lasted until after midnight by the time we'd seen them both off, along with numerous other runners we'd got to know over the day. Next stop, Blue Lake, for a snooze in the car and another aid station party. Every time a mud-covered runner emerged out of the dark and into the aid station, there was a mini-celebration as we were at that stage near cutoffs, where cutoffs were becoming a real threat, something we had not anticipated a few days before. The initial plan was to run with Kelly through the night and finish sometime Sunday morning. However, the mudfest meant Kelly finally made it to Blue Lake at around 7am and I had to start doing the maths in order to get her to the finish. She was in good shape, quiet and calm and just getting the job done. To witness someone challenge themselves to that extent is pretty inspiring and humbling. I pushed her through the more runnable sections and we made it across the finish line with about 40 minutes to spare. She was completely surprised that all our mates were still there on that finish line. I wasn't because they are awesome. Not quite sure what that means. Um, Along with a whole bunch of others. I think what Jenny's saying is that her runner was surprised. Kelly was surprised. Oh, she wasn't. 
She wasn't I got expecting it. She wasn't surprised. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't figure out why she yeah. wasn't on the finish line. I thought she was the finish line. Anyway, sorry. Uh, along with a whole bunch of others who had come back to cheer the last runners home. Officially the greatest run, greatest finish line ever and seeing her and Bronwyn with their talkie was so rewarding. So my greatest run ever was 35 hours and 20 minutes long with about seven hours of actual running. Loved it. Greatest run ever. Perfect. Perfect. That is that is a great run. So Logan. Uh, yeah, Logan Austin. Logan Austin. So thanks for your feedback, Logan. This is yet another top show, guys. And the new episode came up as I was starting my run at six o'clock in the morning. Uh, on point again. Thanks, man. Uh, checks in the mail. My greatest run ever would be the ultra easy 100k in Wanaka this year. For a couple of reasons, A, it was the hardest run I'd ever done, and B, I finished it, and C, my running mate Mark Rigby, good name Rigby, Rigby. ran with me the whole time to get me over the finish line when he could have easily done it three or four hours quicker. That's amazing. We had Grant Guys and Weston Hill at the Cadrona Valley aid station shoving ice, filling bottles, and just amping up all the knackered runners, making us happy again. And what does that say for Little Cryfall, which must I'm not familiar with. It must be a climb on the on the course. Just having the elite runners around, caring, helping, and being a part of it is huge. Yeah. Right. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's perfect, again. And so keep those greatest run evers coming in. They're really good and inspiring. And just you guys are really getting what we mean by greatest run ever. So and, thanks. And both of these have a theme, I think. In, in terms of that, that sort of selflessness, you know, with pacing. So Jenny Hurst being there for her friend and, you know, Logan talking about his friend Mark, who, and I would say, I'd extend that to you, Eugene, the other day when we did park run, you know, Eugene's quicker than I am on the tarmac and you could have come in a good couple of minutes ahead of me, but you paced me through that run and it was awful but I very, was I paying really, you back for all those times around yeah. the Riverhead Rampage course when you have to wait for me so um really yeah, appreciate it yeah <laughs> yeah so on to our conversation with Grant guys give us a little bit of a short bio about Grant for those who aren't so familiar with him Matt well Grant let's talk about Grant the main reason I, I bonded with Grant years ago is because we really like the same type of music and, and very quickly, they start talking about music. We got 15 minutes. But mm. um, I think often, again, often in running, like, yeah, Grant's a haunch. He smashes it. He, you know, he's done, he was a Salomon athlete. He's done UTMB. He was ninth and 13th, respectively, in Hard Rock in 2016, 2017. He's won the Canadian Death Race twice. He was second at Tarawera 100 this year. There's all sorts of stuff that you, all these Palmiers you could talk about. He's a sick dude. And um, he likes punk rock. So he's okay by me. Righty ho. So let's get into it. A very quick warning. Some of the audio is not our best work and there's a little bit of feedback and things. So that's not your earphones. It's our bad. Yeah. So apologies for that. And we've given ourselves an uppercut and we'll try harder. But let's get into it. Grant Guys. Okay, we're here with Grant Guys. Kilda Grant. Hey guys, how's it going? Really well. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Hey, so I understand that you have recently returned from Australia. You were running the Wild Goose Chase, and I hear that you had quite a good day there. What happened? Yeah, yeah, it was it was awesome. Went over to Western Australia to Wild Goose Chase, which was um, in the Avon, I think Avon Valley National Park um, outside of uh, Perth. So, yeah, it was it was super cool. It was like three day um, kind of running festival, they call it. Um, yeah, I was super lazy. I only ran one of the days. Uh, most people there ran uh, something all all three days. Uh, so it's, it's pretty cool. And they had, you know, 18K and then 106K or 45K on this. That was Saturday, yeah, 18K on the Friday. And then the Sunday was uh, 22K or 55K, I think. So, yeah, there were some people that, you know, did 18, 106, and then 55K. Um, over those three days, um, I was I was pretty lazy. Just did the hundred and six, um, but yeah, it was cool. It was super cool. Yeah, I know it was it was awesome. I always hate when people are you know you go to Kepler and you ask what they're going to do, and they're like, oh, it's only the only the Luxmore, and you're like, you can't say that. You got to claim it. Um, or you know, I'm, oh, I'm only doing the sixty k at Tarawera. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. I was like, oh, I'm only doing the the hundred k, but yeah, there's people doing saying you know, all three days. So. Yeah. So only got the course record as well, I understand. Only only got the course record. But, you know, to be to be fair, uh, Richard Avery, who had the course record, he actually did a race all three days the, last year. It's only been going two years. He, he did a race all three 
days last year and only got his record by like four minutes. So I felt pretty, I was like, man, I am lazy far out. Like that guy. Yeah. He, he did 18 K the day before then the, you know, ran twelve forty or something for the hundred K and then got up and did 55 the next day. Tell us a bit about the course. What's it like? What sort of uh, terrain is it? So it's, it's pretty, you know, it's, it's not that steep or, or anything. It's not super mountainous. You know, the biggest climb was maybe 300 meters um, it was essentially a figure eight and we ran back on ourselves through one section a couple of times, which is a super cool section. So it was quite fun, but I can't remember what we did. Maybe it was like a 16 K loop and then we came back to the base area and the base area itself was super cool. Um, we got there on the Thursday night and it was set up like tents, bed, everything was all set up for us. You know, we're like full glamping. Um, so that was super cool. Really nice base area with catering and, fire pits and you know cold beer it was it was super cool but we we did a 16k loop came back to that base area went out and did like a 37 or something and then went came back in and did the 16k again and then the 37 i think it was 37 um again so yeah kind of two figure eights a lot of like rolling fire roads fire breaks which is is pretty typical of the races i've done in in australia but it was all like runnable rolling and you're just like man i should be running this but i'm doing 100k so i've probably got to walk it and it was this funny in between it wasn't like you're definitely going to walk this or you're definitely going to run it it was a lot of in between stuff and then there was a lot of no trail stuff like off trail which was super fun um and then a couple of the climbs were were a bit steeper and a bit longer it just kept on kept on giving you i thought oh maybe i'll run between 10 and 11 hours and then i don't know like 40k and I was like man I'll be lucky if I if I can break 13 today you know it was pretty pretty apparent that it was going to be a pretty brutal race so yeah is, cool. is this a reasonably small race in Australia or is it it's, one of the more popular it is it's, it's pretty small which has this really cool intimate feel especially because you're there you're camping with people you know the the race director is and they're and the and and everyone's still like you know we're all camping right there for three nights and it's super cool um really cool feel to it pretty small though you know you can't think man it should be so much bigger especially with that population of of, of perth being right there but i don't know i guess it would lose some of that feel if it was a bigger race but it was it was cool it was a very long way to travel from new zealand you know to get all the way over there but it's kind of worth it you know it made it worth it you know because you travel all the way out there and you're camping everything's laid on and it's three days of, of just really fun you know hanging out in the australian bush and the blue gum trees drinking beer listening to jimmy barnes on the on the stereo it was pretty funny you're living you're living the australian dream i was man jimmy it barnes. was yeah it was jimmy like, it was jimmy barnes came on that on the on the speaker system and i was just like man this is i don't know you can make it up <laughs> it's so funny no you couldn't have to invent it <laughs> yeah it was pretty funny sounds like you're really stoked on uh racing and, and and running again and i know that this year has been sort of a a bit of a return to form for you after uh your second hard rock so what are you working towards so i got coming up a race in in france at the end of august on the 31st of august and it, it, it's a race in France on the 31st of August that doesn't go around Mount Blanc. Um, there is another race in France uh, other than UTMB. Uh, it's called the, I'm probably going to say it wrong, the El, El Chaki Bell. Um, yeah, it's, it's in the Baldon Massif, um, kind of near Grenoble, which uh, it finishes about an hour and a half south of uh of Chamonix or hour and a half south of Geneva. Yeah, and the Baldon Massif range kind of traverses from the south to the north, traverses the whole range. Looks super cool. It's like 144K and 11,000 meters of vertical. So, and all really technical and rocky and rough. And yeah, it looks awesome. <laughs> How did you get onto that race? Um, so it was, it was a little bit random. Like, 10 years ago now, uh, we, me and Jane, my wife, we lived in um, just outside of Grenoble in a little village called St. Martin Duriage. And I was, we're skiing a whole bunch then, doing a whole bunch of ski mountaineering. And I was working for a guy there, uh, this guy Pierre Genoux, like making handmade carbon fiber ski mountaineering race boots. And we were part of the, um, 
the DSA, the, the Ski Mountaineering Club. So to compete in the Ski Mountaineering races, you had to be part of a club. And that was the club that my boss was part of and, and the club where, you know, where we, where we worked or where we lived. So um, it was awesome because, you know, straight away you're kind of immersed in this community, kind of like a trail running community, but, you know, it's in winter and you're skiing. Um, Can I interrupt you, Grant? I mean, I know that ski mountaineering seems to be, and, and it seems like you were doing it before it was cool. It seems to be the thing that uh, a lot of North American and European runners do. You know, you talk about Killian Journey. He's he's big into skimo um, or ski mountaineering. Anton Krupicka, Jen Shelton, Mike Foote. Um, yeah. Jason Schlaff, yes, the hard rock. Because what is ski mountaineering exactly? Well, I, I like the schemo, like the race side of it is different to ski mountaineering. Like ski mountaineering is, you know, in a traditional sense, maybe it's it's like mountaineering um, and skiing. So like the dudes that ski, you know, they came over and there's uh, some guys came over and did a first descent of uh, the Caroline Face last spring, which is of Mount Cook, which is super, super gnarly. And that's like hardcore ski mountaineering, like steep, extreme skiing, which is again, different to like what you see on like a, you know, Teton gravity, you know, blower power, um, ski movie, um, like that ski mountaineering, like hardcore, steep, extreme skiing where you're climbing, you know, the mountaineering is really hardcore, the skiing's super steep, extreme exposed. And then like ski mountaineering racing is, it's kind of similar, but it has like a real athletic um, side of it. It's almost like you take that aspect of mountaineering and you merge it with like cross country skiing. So the skis are like super, super lightweight. You know, like I was working for this guy building um, extremely light uh, carbon fiber ski boots and you're going up and down as fast as you can. And, you know, skate skiing, cross country skiing is all generally pretty flat. This is all like steep, it's off paced. So you're just traveling, you know, fast and light in the mountains on the snow. And then there's the race side of it, which obviously, you know, the same way that like when you go out for a run with your friends and then the, when you do a race, they're quite, they can be quite different because the race has, um, you know, limitations, I guess. But yeah, so it's, it's I, I guess it's a, it's a lot like a sky running race, but on the snow. That's probably if, if you're familiar with you know, sky running race or like, you know, like the old races that aren't really around so much anymore in New Zealand, but like Avalanche Peak or the Mount Lyford race, like they're pretty full on kind of races. They're kind of like those for people that remember those, um, but on the snow. So, and, th- and that's how it's I really get out into the wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of how I got into trail running was we were over there. We're in France. We'd done like the ski mountaineering world champs. I, I knew Killian's coach at the time because I'd met him the year before in Japan. So I knew, I knew like a lot of these guys and I'd met them because everyone was like getting these ski boots that I was making with Pierre. And I keep meeting all these guys and it was like, what's, you know, we came back to New Zealand. I was like, what's that Killian guy doing in the, in the summer, you know, in the off season. And I was like, Oh, running sky running. I should get into running, I guess, you know, so it was quite funny. It's kind of how I, yeah, got back into running. You said you got back into running. What were you doing before you were, doing ski mountaineering i ran all like in my teenage years i ran um around in circles and did track and cross country so where are you i notice you have quite a dis- uh, in in contrast to our very urbane auckland accents you have a quite a robust southern accent so i do yeah, yeah i i grew up in uh in riverton way down south like on the south coast <laughs> the south right. coast of the south island i'm way down there like in the the hill behind my house where I grew up, you could I'd go for a run up there and you can see Stewart Island. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's way down there. So I, I grew up there um, and yeah, I did track and cross country um, and then got out of it, kind of discovered um, the mountains and discovered skiing. So yeah. And then got back into running. So then what year was it that you sort of came back and got into running again? Um, that was like, we, we did, I think we did five or six. I think we did 11 winters back to back. Um, so it was like five winters back to back or five years of winters. And then 2008, I think, was my first summer again. And that's when I got back into running, I think, 2008, 2009. Um, I was kind of, you know, I couldn't afford a bike. Everyone seemed to be into biking, um, but I couldn't afford a bike. So I just 
got back into running and yeah, kind of, and, and it also like, I was able to go to the places where I was skiing in winter by foot. So that was like the appeal, um, opposed to like getting into biking. Um, you're a bit more restricted or, or at least I felt a bit more restricted. So, yeah, but the, a girl that I knew, um, in the club that I was part of in the, the DSA club in, in Grenoble, she got in touch with me, um, in the middle of summer and was like, Hey, do you want to, uh, can I give your detail? Can I pass your details on to Philippe, this guy from the El Chappie Bell race? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I, I looked up the race and I was like, Oh my God, that is like, so me, you know, the, the vertical and the race videos, it just looked amazing. So yeah, pr- pretty random. That was a really long winded answer of how I got onto that race. Sorry. It took so long. It's a very good answer. <laughs> long winded as it is, it's, uh, it's fascinating. Yeah, and I guess it tells us a bit of a story of your your journey. That running for you is much more than just putting one foot in front of the other. It's a real adventure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny. I you know when I got back into running, I I thought you know like I I really liked going back into the mountains. I was super inspired by like the by the Avalanche Peak Challenge, which isn't on anymore because that was like the most like a sky running race in New Zealand. At least that's what I thought uh, at the time. And and that's what I was really into or wanted to be into. But it was funny because I remember thinking, no, no, I'm a, I'm a runner, you know, like I want to be able to run stuff and I'm a runner. And it's taken me a long time to be like, actually, I don't think I am a runner. I was thinking about it on my bike ride um, as an example of that I'm not a runner. On my bike ride uh, over the weekend that I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't really identify so much as a runner anymore in a lot of ways. I just like kind of getting out and, yeah, adventuring. And I'm going to draw a comparison to – punk rock here and you yes. knew that we'd get round. I knew it was yes. coming Absolutely. what are we like 10 that. minutes in and oh, Matt's at punk rock epic I've been at punk rock minutes there's a there's a scene in the um, Don Letts movie Punk Attitude and Henry Rollins is talking about his record collection and I can identify with this and when he became punk when he started singing in SOA, you know, before he joined Black Flag, he threw out all his Ted Nugent records, all his Bob Seger records, you know, all his Thin Lizzy records. He was just so self-conscious because that's what he identified with. He threw them all out and he talked about sort of buying them 10 years later on CD when he realized actually you can be, uh, you don't have to just exclusively listen to, to one thing and you can still identify it. Do you think, you know, being 10 years deep, and you're very much ensconced in the sport, you can actually now get to the point where you can say, well, I'm not just, I am a runner, but being a runner doesn't mean all I do is run. Yeah, 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 totally. And I guess, I, you know, I, I remember when I first got into punk rock, I threw, you know, I got rid of all my other genres of music. I was just like, hell no. Like, I'm, I'm punk, I can't be anything else, you know? So I, I, I can relate to that, obviously, slightly different level to Henry Rollins. But it's, it's, yeah, it's the same with running, you know, like, I guess, and I, it's probably like anything in any part of life, you know, it's becoming like comfortable within yourself, right? So, you know, there's there's a point where Henry Rollins is like, he's actually comfortable that he is punk enough that he can listen to other types of music, I guess, or, you know, we're, com- or I'm comfortable enough or we're comfortable enough as runners that we can actually, we can go for a bike ride or we can do something that isn't just running or we can run, you know, I, I went and did a track workout on Friday, you know, like there's a time where all I did was track workouts. And then there was a time where I'd never go near a track. And now I'm to the point where I'm like, I can go for a track workout on a Friday. I can ride my bike on a, Saturday and then I can just do a, a day where I just do vert on on a Sunday you know it's like the most random three days of training I've done probably ever was this past weekend but you know and, and it made me think I'm totally okay doing that now but there was a time where I'd be like oh no I've just got to be like doing vert in like in the hills to train for this race that I've got coming up or you know, whatever. I, I don't know if that's a good example or not. But. Oh, it's a really good example do you think it sort of contributes I see it's this and I think because the scene in New Zealand is so new or relatively new, we, we get into the phenomena of the completely injured, totally obsessed ultra runner who's kind of like, I'm an ultra runner. I'm not a runner. I'm an ultra runner. But I'm injured because all I do is ultra run. Because, because I've, got to, I've got to run an ultra every day. Yeah, absolutely. It's like school cross country, you know, like they do the cross country every day. 
and every day they do cross country and then they, they go run cross country and wonder why <laughs> you know the kids are tired and, and burnt out <laughs> yeah 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 I, I and I had that I had that uh kind of and I I always go back to it like probably 10 years ago we were training um there was a couple of euro dudes a, a guy Javier from Spain and a guy um Lorenzo from Italy. They're such like great European names. Um, but they're in New Zealand and we, and, and these guys are here and they're like totally badass ski mountaineering races, like way more accomplished and faster than I was. But they're in New Zealand and I, I had this trip that I wanted to do. And I was like, these are the guys I need to do this trip with. Like, cause they're, they've got the gear, they've got the knowledge, they've got the fitness, you know, they're just going to drag me along. And so we're training for this, this trip. It was like this 50, K like crossing of the Southern Alps kind of head of Lake Tikapo over to, to Fox Glacier. And we, um, we did a traverse of the Craigie Burns as, as training, which, you know, the trip that we're looking at doing, I mean, someone had done it like maybe not quite 20 years earlier in 18 hours. And we just did this trip that took us four or five. And I was like, man, how am I going to do this 18 hour trip or this 15 hour trip, you know, that was such a big mission today just to do this five hour. And, uh, Javier's like, well, you know, an Ironman doesn't go out and train an Ironman every day, you know? So you don't need to go out and train every day what you're going to do. So yeah, it's, it's one thing you got to, but it, it comes back to being comfortable with yourself and not going out and training. You know, I, I think that's why people overtrain is because they're not comfortable with themselves maybe. so Definitely. I think that's definitely the case. You sort of get locked into this is what I must do. And to me, there's sort of a similarity to the way that you approach events too, that you're sure you're turning up at some of the, the big shows, the hard rock and so on, but you're also kind of not afraid to go to some of these smaller races and turn up at Wild Goose and, Riverhead Rampage. Just a Riverhead Rampage. Yeah. No, that's a big race. That's, that's on the that's calendar. A big deal, man. Um, that was epic. Ask, ask Dennis DeMonchi what a big deal Riverhead Rampage is. I'd rather not. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're not afraid to go to those events as well, and that's just sort of, I think, shows how how you approach the sport. Oh, they're so much fun. Like, I mean, it, it's hard, too, in a lot of ways, like, to go to those races. And, and like, I've been going to races, a few races now and using them as, as kind of training, which is a little bit lame, but it's kind of what it is. But it's it's been really fun because I get to go to a race and have it really social. Like, the last – well, this year I went to Mount Difficulty and raced it a little – I tried to race it a little bit harder. I was a bit tired. But then the two years previous, I went into – Mount Difficulty and I did it as part of a big training week and it's it's kind of hard because you got to like totally put your ego in check because you're you know you're you're on the start or at the end of like a massive week of training and um and you're just going to go out and get pummeled you know like you can't race it the way or I, I couldn't race it the way that I'd want to race so you go out and you put your you just go like leave your ego at home and it ends up being really fun because I end up running with a whole bunch of people that I don't normally run with a whole bunch of friends I don't normally see during a race. And and it's actually really cool. And it was the same thing like a week or whenever we 2K was, a week or two back, you know, doing that just like totally put my ego in check like two weeks after Wild Goose. It was like I've just got to go out and have a long training day. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard, but it's also really fun to do that. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a balance. But it's it's good going to those, those you know, I wouldn't say smaller races or lesser races because they all have a – a place, you know, so I, w- I wouldn't, you know, disrespect those races in that way. And it's, but it's been really fun to go to those races and still appreciate them and be a part of it. We keep coming back to Wu2K over the last, you know, since we've been doing this over the weeks and, and, and whatever, it seems like, and, and you've been involved since sort of day one with it. How, I mean, what was your impressions of it? It seems like it's, it's, it's the quite the up and coming thing, isn't it? It is a thing, man. Yeah, it is super cool. I was really, really impressed with Wu2K. I mean, you know, and it's, it's probably like Mount Difficulty and Wu2K. Two thing, or one thing that both those races have going on for them is that they haven't put them between January, February, and March, like everyone else puts their races on. So that's one thing that's really in Wu2K's favor is the time of year. And it's just, it was so cool. Like, you know, I mean, those guys, you know, Gareth um, and his team, I mean, they have it down. Like, you would not think that that was their third year of doing their race. Like, I just thought it was so smooth and so well done. Like, the whole thing was done really well. The organization was really well. The course markings. You know, I mean, the, the Wellington City Council is like, 
paying like for the course markings for permanent course markings for that course. Uh, it's just like, how cool is that? It was just so impressive that, that, you know, they're able to work with the council to get behind and the council gets behind that race and supports it. And, you know, instead of working against them, um, you know, they're supporting them and, and you can see it just makes it so much easier for them to put on a great race, but to start like essentially in a town and, and you know, and run on the outskirts of Wellington um, was so cool. I, I've never ran on any of those trails before, you know, other than, all the rubbish uh, that was blown over the tip track, which they really needed, not Wu2K organizers, but after just complimenting the, the Wellington City Council, I'm going to have a go at them. They really needed to sort that shit out. That was really quite depressing, all the rubbish on the tip track. But it was amazing. Like the whole course was super cool. Um, it was really fun. I probably enjoyed most was actually after the tip track and we started running in and out of the um, like streets and suburbs, like on the trail and then through the town, crossing a road, and then back onto a trail, then back through some houses and back streets and, you know, crossing another road. And it was just really cool that they were able to have a race that went over all these busy roads. And, you know, it wasn't over the top. There wasn't like stop-go signs and they weren't having to stop traffic. Like, you know, it's an example of what happens when people uh, kind of use some common sense, you know, and let them let them use the road and cross the roads and stuff. And it was super cool, you know, finishing Mount Vic. And then we, we walked back into town and, you know, it was, it was super cool. Um, I, had a, I had a great day. Yeah, I really liked that race. Yeah. It's a great contrast between those sorts of events and that real feel. And then you go off to something like Hard Rock. So what's it like turning up at those sort of events, the big show? Well, I mean, Hard Rock probably, you know, there's less people at Hard Rock. True. You know, uh, it's, it's, you know, Hard Rock is a strange race. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, the big contrast is you go to something like UTMB and that thing is insane. Like you run the first like 9K and, well, maybe not the first 9K, but the first couple of K, is it's lined with people cheering you on. It's nuts. And every time you go in and out of a the village, there's people, tons and tons of people. It's, it's crazy. Like that's nuts. The whole thing is, you know, waiting in line for hours to get your gear checked and, you know, I mean, I, you get like, I got like a blood test or something. I don't know, the doping control for, for some strange reason. But, you know, like the whole thing, you know, is, is pretty intense. So, yeah, Hard, hard Rock's almost similar to going to, you know, Northburn or Wu2K or, you know, Ultra Easy, where it's really small. It feels very intimate. Yeah. But, but at the same time, Hard Rock's kind of interesting because it is a small, intimate race, but it feels like a big deal because there's still actually – you know, there's probably twice as many people, you know, at the start than there is, you know, watching than there is doing the race. Like, it's kind of weird. I don't know. And, and there's a whole bunch of these fast people, like really, really fast people that are watching the race. They're not in the race. Like, that's kind of a trip. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's an interesting. And then online, it's half the world. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Like, it's it's funny. I mean, um, it, it's interesting. There's a lot of chatter, uh, you know, on the, if you if you're like me and you're just geeking out on hard rock and you're reading the comments on I run far about the, the preview and the live tracking and stuff. And, you know, hard rock is, is only 140 people. The field is, whilst there's some amazingly good runners there, there isn't necessarily a super competitive depth to it. I, I say that knowing full well that I'd get my ass kicked, but you know, this weekend in the States, they had like Vermont classic, which is like one of the oldest races, hundred mile races there. And it's super competitive but it's getting like no attention. And then, you know, they had the Tahoe 100, which would have been, you know, I don't know, no wait list, no lottery, you know, it's getting no attention, but yeah, for whatever reason, Hard Rock gets all this attention. And I think it's just, I don't know, it's like nothing else. I think it just captures people's imagination. So, yeah. What do you make of, uh, I mean, this year's race was, uh, I mean, your friend, uh, Jeff Brown. Oh man. Won. Yeah. My, my man, my man crush is strong. Jeepers. Yeah. Yeah. I, yep. Shout out to all the mid forties fathers of three that are killing the ultra. Yeah, it's but it, it's, it's a bittersweet victory for him. Hey, coming off. I mean, well-deserved because he's just so consistent and, you know, he has a sort of, it seems like he has his yearly hundred kilometer warm up at Western States and then just kills it 
just demolishes everyone and then backing up hard rock this this i think the third year he's done that or the second year yeah yeah that. it's it's really impressive it came off the back of uh disqualification. yeah Xavier um getting dq'd i mean it sucks it just sucks for everyone like it it really sucks for uh xavier for sure i mean it's it's shitty for like the for Dale, the the Hard Rock race director, and and everyone from Hard Rock, you know, the the board of directors having to make that call. You know, I know Jeff. Like it, it would, it's you know, he he knows, man. Like it, it would suck for Jeff as well. I think you know, even I read you know a comment that he posted or a photo he posted. You know, it's kind of bittersweet, and it would be like it would be really, it, it would be quite a strange feeling. Ninety minutes down, hey. Yeah, it was something like that. It was an hour or an hour and a half down, you know. He and he didn't know until he got into Cunningham with like nine miles left, which is which is kind of crazy that that's where they DQ'd Xavier. I mean, having been, you know, uh, the infringement happened just out of Ure, which is at like I don't even know what mile that was, forty six or something. So what happened? He took on board aid outside the so main station. So I think I think what happened is. And I'm obviously, like, I'm not 100%. I wasn't there. Xavier knows exactly what happened, and his crew, that's probably it. But um, they get into Ure, which is kind of the it's, – it's a little bit less than halfway in this direction. Super hot year, and that is always a pretty hot spot in, in Ure. And you, you run kind of up a little up, – up a valley, um, up valley, under the highway kind of. You don't know the highway's there, but you're kind of essentially running under the highway for two or three miles, I guess – and then you pop up and you're right next to the highway. And then that's where the Bear Creek Trail starts. And it goes over. There's like a little tunnel um, that you go through um, on the highway that you drive through. And the Bear Creek Trail goes over that tunnel. And uh, like a lot of people will stop there and watch and, and watch their runners or you know, people will take photos there. People will be there. It's pretty common. So the fact that his crew is there is not overly surprising at all. Like it, it, it kind of makes sense. You know, they, they leave you Ray and they would drive up so they could see them. And why, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I can imagine it, they were all pretty casual and it was probably like, Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm pretty hot. Oh, Hey, do you want some ice? We've still got some. Yeah, sure. Thanks. I, I don't know. That's how I imagine it played out. I'm sure it was all very innocent. And that's what the that's what the statement said uh, from the Hard Rock organizers that we don't believe that it was done with malicious intent, and we invite no, him to no. I mean, he had like apply. an hour, hour and a half lead. A couple of ice cubes isn't going to do it, you know. Unless he's like, I don't know, <laughs> unless he's got like his ice cubes are juiced up, right? But I mean, obviously they're not. But you know, it's it's not going to help anything, you know. Like there's there's no real advantage there. It, it is it is super hot there for sure. But he just left the aid station, you know, like, and, and he was about to go up to Bear Creek Trail. There's water flowing up there. It, it would have worked out. It would have been fine, you know. He, he, so he it wasn't going to make or break his race. So that's why I'm sure it was just like, oh, you're hot? Here, have some ice. Like, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But rules are rules, you know. Um, what are you going to do? And, and you know, once, you know, I'm sure, you know, once someone brought that up to, to Dale's attention and to the, to the race officials, they had to act. They couldn't not act like something had to be done really, you know, their, their hands are tied at that stage. I, I think it sucks. I don't know. You know, it sucks that it had to happen, but yeah, I think it, it, kind of had to something had to be done you know maybe they should have looked at what how far ahead he was at Ure and said right you're getting docked that much time you know so from Ure right yeah. you and Jeff Browning were in first equal essentially but I mean I, I don't know I, from what I gathered that that wasn't an I don't know I, I would have thought it would be an option but they made it sound like that wasn't an option because it wasn't a a possibility within their rules and they don't want to make a rule change mid-race or something I, I don't really know I mean by the time this this podcast goes up, maybe we'll know a little bit more about the story. And yeah, it's it's unfortunate that it happened, but you know, I guess the rules are rules. And congrats to Jeff. You know, I'm stoked for him. I'm super stoked for him. Super stoked for for Jeff Rome as well, the guy that got second. Like that's insane. Like he ran like he kind of like no one knew who he was last year. He ran like twenty eight and a half hours improved like two hours it's freaking massive like that's so impressive and he and he was running jeff down too uh well i mean jeff browning got lost for a bit well backtracked for a bit but you know jeff rowan man guy's a freaking stud yeah it's super impressive his run as well so 
So Jeff Browning is an ultra athlete, yeah. and you are the ultra head honcho in New Zealand. How did you come to? And, and you've been associated with a few brands in your time. How did you come to to work with Ultra, and how's it how's it going? I came to work with Ultra. I was working for I was working for myself. Got offered a pretty sweet sounding job totally sold out, took the money. It was horrible in the end. It just, and you know, part of it is because I'm like pretty much unemployable. I hate being told what to do. So it, it, it wasn't good. I don't play nice with others maybe. So I was looking for something to do. I looked at what Ultra was doing. I really liked what I've seen with Ultra as far as like a brand and, and the way they were coming up, you could see that they're making, um, you know, the product was really good. They're getting really good market share. They're backing a lot of really cool races like Western States, Hard Rock, um, Run Rabbit Run. They're getting behind these cool races. They're, you know, had a really cool team. They're super active. There's a lot of good things about them. Heard a lot of good things about the shoes. I re- reached out to a friend, Jason Schlab, who's sponsored by them. He came back to me like an hour later and he was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to phone you in 30 minutes. And he phones me in like 30 minutes later and he's like, okay, you got to talk to this guy, Kevin. He's the international sales manager, you know, this, this, this. And he gave me like oh, this spiel. It was, it was pretty, pretty classic how quickly it happened. So the following Monday I had a, um, a Skype conversation with, with uh, Kevin Roberts, the head of international sales with, with Ultra. And yeah, we just kind of took it from there. So yeah, it's, it's been pretty wild, like two and a half, just over two and a half years of doing Ultra in New Zealand. It was done, um, it was done previously, but yeah, we've kind of, I think we've done some some good stuff since then. So made some leaps and bounds. And so you have uh, your massive corporate headquarters yeah, in Dunedin massive, man. with a warehouse and corporate office, big corporate tower, I understand. Photochromatic yeah, yeah all the windows are photochromatic, uh, zebra lens. So, so all my workers, because we've got a pretty big staff down here. So when they're having this smoker and they're in the, in the ca- cafeteria, you know, in the, the headquarters cafeteria, you know, they don't have to squint with the photochromatic windows, you know, no. keeps the sun out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 tell us the tell reality. Us the reality. Oh, man. Uh, I'm currently sitting in my office staring at like a stack of kids' toys and uh, dirty dishes in the sink. Yeah, I work out of my house. So it's, it's pretty low key. Uh, we have a massive garage. So I've got a whole bunch of things warehoused in my garage um, and I work from home. Or by my lonesome, which is good because, like I said, I don't play nice with others, so it's probably better that I work by myself. How did you come to wash up in Dunedin? My uh, my lovely wife Jane, a couple of years ago, decided she wanted to go back to school. She, when we first met, she mentioned something about you know almost going to med school, which I thought was super cool. And then, um, like thirteen years later, she mentioned it again. So she kind of sat on that one for. <laughs> like 13 years and then she's like hey so i'm still thinking about med school so i was like okay so yeah in in a space of like i think it all happened within a maybe a week or two we we i left my job we moved from wanaka to dunedin jane and uh and zach and and isabella my two kids all three of them started a new school um and i started a new business so it was a pretty epic um yeah pretty epic week that week for for us a little bit a little bit crazy and it kind of has it doesn't feel like it's slowed down you know like we're still debating on where jane's going to go for next year like she might go to we might go to christchurch we might stay here you know zach just started his first day of school today um yeah it's it's been a pretty crazy couple of couple of years in dunedin but yeah it's good and what's the running scene like in dunedin it's good, man. It's I mean, Dunedin has a really uh, a really rich running history, you know. I mean, and it, it's hardcore. Like I turn up to like a race in Dunedin, I get a beat down. You know, I got to go all the way to the Western Australia to get any sort of respect <laughs> to win a race. <laughs> Dunedin's hardcore, man. You know, like we've got the the Three Peaks race in Dunedin, which was started by um, one of the guys that started it is uh, Ed Stevens, who's now one of the guys behind Highland Events. He's the same guy behind Highland Events. The unsane guy is. Terry Davis over in Wanaka. But yeah, like Three Peaks has been around for years. I don't know when Ed started that. Like it's been around as long as Kepler. And that's super cool race. And, you know, with the university students, you know, you've got a whole bunch of like young, fast people around. But then you also got like 
kind of the the old crusty folks like myself and then you've got a whole bunch of older crustier folks as well they have a really cool thing the pub runs here which has been going since i think 1991 and it's this crew that meets on a wednesday night 6 15 they meet at a pub and someone leads the run and they go out for like an hour hour and a half it might be on the roads it might be on the trails it pretty much turns into just a total smackdown in the last like couple of k it's always like a a sprint finish and they finish at the pub and whoever leads the run has to buy all the chips and then you buy your own beer and they nominate someone else for the next week's run and that person chooses the pub that they're going to meet at and then leads the run and uh, i've only been to it once in my two and a half years here just with with kids and jen often having late nights on wednesday it hasn't worked out and it's and it's a smackdown, you know. Like I don't want to. Often Wednesdays is an easy run, so you turn up on a win, on a Wednesday night and just you know get a beat down. It doesn't always work in, but it's super cool. Like that. I mean, just to give you like an, an idea of the scene. Only having been once, I'm not an expert of the pub runners, but it's it's a pretty cool scene on Wednesday nights. It's it's pretty cool, and and it's guys only. There's no girls are allowed. You know, it's like old school. <laughs> Which I love it, you know, because there are women's only group runs and no guys are allowed. So they've got their dudes only group run. It's it's hilarious. Hey, what's this upstart race to crush the cargo? Crush what's the that cargo. all about? It's the 24 hour almost gorilla run that's touting itself as the hardest. Well, you know, it's the longest 24 hour race in the world. I don't know if you're aware of that. Crush the cargo. And, and I think, you know, one of the cool things about Crush the Cargo and, and the message is probably getting lost. Is it is a fundraiser for the Valley Project, the Leith Valley, uh, sorry, the the Northeast Valley Valley Project. So, but yeah, it's pretty cool. It's it's very much an unofficial run. Andrew Glennie, which if there's any single ultra running ladies out there, ideally in the Dunedin area, Andrew is single, and and he's the New Zealand twenty four hour champ. He's quite the catch, and he has an impressive beard. And Steve Tripp, they're kind of the, the 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 two the two main guys behind it. Um, they're trying to rope a few others in. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of brainstorming that goes into uh, Crush the Cargill. And if you're following the Facebook page, it's probably no surprise that that brainstorming generally takes place on a Friday night at Emerson's or New 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 two breweries here in town. So most of the posts come out on Friday night on the Facebook page or on the website now. We have a website or they have a website, not we. Um, I, I, I'm not I'm not part of it really. But it, it's pretty cool. You know, those guys are just, they're having a lot of fun with it. They're a little bit like South Park. You know, South Park, they kind of take the piss out of everyone. And because they take the piss out of everyone, it's okay. I think that's the, I think that's the crush the cargo strategy pretty much. Yeah. And definitely not taking themselves too seriously. It's, I guess it's a, it's quite an exciting place, and it comes back to what we were talking about before, you know, like the whole kind of Ted Nugent, well, not Ted Nugent because he's a dick, I'm sorry. Uh, but, like, if you're listening, Ted, you're a dick. But the whole, you know, that identity of, like, not taking yourself too seriously, you've got this cool ultra, you know, this cool running event in Perth, you know, the Wild Goose Chase where you got three days of running and, having fun and the crush the cargo but it, it is possible that the two things actually can coexist huh? yeah yeah definitely like you know i mean this is the thing like you don't want to take yourself too seriously and there's a lot of people out there that take themselves too seriously there's a lot of times i take myself too seriously well there's definitely times in my life where i've taken myself way too seriously and and, and i probably still do and i and i'm sure i will so you know the, the Glenn and uh, sorry Andrew and and uh, and Steve and then the crush of the cargo scene and and um, got to give some some credit there to to Adam Keen as well I think they're a great reminder not to take yourself too seriously they're definitely you know it's it's keeping it lighthearted and and just having a bit of fun with it so yeah it's it's a good it's a it's a good way to be I guess so. Fantastic. Well, oh, hey, look, man. Sort of- I was going to say, I think that I think that it's about time we brought it back to a serious question, All right, guys? What is your greatest run ever? Man, it's it's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, you warned me that you're going to ask this. It, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, can I have more than one? Part part of me wants to be really cheesy and say, I haven't had it yet. It's going to come. You know, like I'm still looking for it. And in some ways, it's very true. Put um, it on the line. Come on. Greatest run so far. 
Dude, my 2010 root burn, that was like, I don't know, that was like seamless in so many ways. I don't know. That was just, it just went, it was never hard, you know, from that point of view. Like it was a race. It just, it wasn't hard. It just went so easy the whole race. That was pretty cool. I kind of had a similar experience at Northburn in 2016, the Northburn 100 miler. Everyone talks about how windy it was and how the weather was really bad. I don't know, the whole thing, like, it was like, I don't remember the wind. I don't really remember any of that. I just remember having this, like, easy day. The only thing I remember is with, like, I think 20K to go, being shocked how good I felt and and trying to make my quads hurt. Like, it was kind of weird at 140K into 100 miles, like, trying to make my quads hurt. That, That was, like, one of those days that just felt so easy. So, I don't know. Sounds like a good one. Hey, well, thank you so much. It's uh, given us a great insight and um, taught us how to be much more serious about our running. Super serious. Keep track of everything. <laughs> be super <laughs> anal. Only run. Only run. Don't do any cross training. No. Go big or go home. Hey, look, man, thank you so much for coming on and thank you for your support. Obviously, you are, um, you know, you sponsor this, but you know, you are, as I said, like you're one guy in a garage and we're two guys in the living room. So um, it seems like it's working out really well. So thank you Yeah, very no, much. Thank, thanks for having me, guys. Sorry for talking so much. But um, no, no, thanks thanks for you guys doing this. I'm, I'm excited that you guys are, uh, have got the podcast up and running. You know, it's, it's, it was always going to be, uh, it was always going to be hard to back up, you know, Paul Charteris' one, which I listened to and really enjoyed. So it's good that you brought me on because I think you've brought that bar way back down and you can, you know, you can slowly build it back up again, which is probably, you know, a good way to do it after starting off with, with Paul being so good. But no, thanks heaps guys. It's super cool that you guys are doing this. And I think it's, I think it's cool to add like another dimension to the, the, the trail running scene in New Zealand. You know, we've got, we've got some pretty pretty good pretty informative i guess like facebook groups are the thing now so to add this different dimension is is super cool so yeah i'm stoked for you guys stoked that you're doing it okay um yeah grant crushed the bandwidth on that one uh he's he's always really entertaining he's engaging and he's got a lot of good stuff to say and i think it's it's wonderful that it highlights that, yeah, he's one man in a garage and, you know, he's got kids, his wife's at med school, it's a busy time. And I love his uh, thoughts on running and his attitude to running and yeah. it's, I think there's something there for all of us to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. Are we going to get a lawsuit from Ted Nugent? Oh, yeah, I feel a bit bad about that. I, I don't. I do, though. I know it's no. said at the top of the show, like, yeah, it's easy to not be a dick and troll people on social media, but... Ted Nugent says some outrageous things. Um, but then again, I didn't write Catch Scratch Fever or Wham Bam Alang, My Sweet Poontang. So two of his best works, Wham Bam Alang, My Sweet Poontang. I don't know him. So mm. I, apo- I apologize, Ted. But you say some pretty outrageous stuff. I think we'll go with honestly held opinion on that one and uh, it'll get past our lawyers. Dick. Um, <laughs> just keep doubling down, Matt. So I, wouldn't, I wouldn't not say he was a dick. <laughs> okay. So thanks very much for tuning in. We'll be back next week with another interesting conversation with another interesting runner. Damn right. We are Find us on, on social media. Yep. Or at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. And our website. Yep. Dirtchurchradio.com. Dot com. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, all the other yep. podcast platforms. Say hi to us in the street. Yep. Sh- share the love. Yep. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And thanks to Grant. Thanks to Kieran for editing. Yep. And thanks to our sponsor. Grant. Ultra. Ultra. Oh, Grant. Yes. Oh, zero drop overlords. Yep. Catch you next week. Kakite. Thanks, Rigby. Go, man. Hmm? Go. Stop talking. No, that's your job. Is that? Yeah. Edit this out, Kieran. Make me look good. Um, so, sh- okay. No, we'll start now. <laughs>